Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at Broadway Curtain, and on Instagram, at Broadway Curtain Podcast. And make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. A person's passion for musical theater can be divided into one of three categories. Fan, Obsessed, or Stephen Cole. <laughs> That's right. Stephen has not only written the book and lyrics for such musicals as After the Fair, The Night of the Hunter, The Road to Qatar, and most recently, Merman's Apprentice, he is also one of the world's foremost experts on the history of the American musical. Now, if you don't believe us, just go to the Facebook page, Forgotten Musical, and see Stephen's brilliance firsthand. So without further ado, here to talk about all things musical theater is librettist, lyricist, Historian, musical theater super fan Stephen Cole. Well, hello, 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 oh, Stephen. I didn't get nominated today for uh, any of those things. I know. Upset. Absolutely because upset. I don't have a Broadway show on now. I mean, what do they think it is? Technicalities. <laughs> yet, <laughs> yet, yet. I have to say, uh, every musical theater aficionado must be jealous of us because we are conducting this interview under a huge poster of Grind. Yes, right. Uh, grind. And there is a beautiful. Is that an oil portrait of that Ethel is Merman? An oil painting of Ethel Merman. Absolutely. A from young Ethel Merman. Yeah. Also found in an antique store in Nyack. You're killing me. I always think. I always thought uh, when I saw this, and they didn't know what it was. I said, "Oh, this must have been in Helen Hayes' house." Right. I don't know why, because it was Nyack. <laughs> and she lived there. And Rosie O'Donnell bought the house and threw it out. I don't know. Yeah, totally. But like, it's a gorgeous portrait of her. Yeah. And it's by a a, uh, a portrait artist who did uh, celebrity portraits in the uh, 1930s. Actually, more uh, society people. Yeah. Oh. A guy named Trephillis. I've, I've, done, I've done my research. But I have to go on Antiques Roadshow and they'll tell oh, me, yeah. restore that damn thing because it's a mess. <laughs> now, how did your relationship with Ethel Merman develop? Well, oh my God, that's a long story. But I've always been a huge fan of Ethel Merman. So when I, I was an actor when I started out, and I, I wrote a show when I was 15, which I got on at 16, mm-hmm. but all that's beyond. And I, my acting career ended sort of uh, by my own hand at 21 because I stopped looking 12. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what you I retired was from that acting at 21. I heavily veiled. No longer a juvenile lead. I was not 12 years old anymore. And I didn't know quite what to do, whether to go back to writing or – so I was going to produce. Why not? 
and it so was ambitious. Early day. Dude, so easy. It. <laughs> and so I decided I wanted to produce Ethel Merman's symphony concert on cable TV. It was the early days of cable. And I had friends who were in TV business. We did a budget. We did promotion. We, 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 I called up her manager after a concert, and I said, hey, I want to do Ethel Merman on TV. And he said, sure, she's going to be playing Carnegie Hall next year. Why don't you start peddling that? We got Kraft Cheese to sponsor it. It was oh. going to be a Kraft musical on CBS Cable. And two months before the concert, CBS Cable went under. No more. Con- They're doing the concert at Carnegie Hall. I go to see it with my friend, now her manager, Bob Gardner. And he takes me backstage and she says, I'm coming to your house. Because I had all this video of her, and she wanted to see it. Two days later, she was here in this very living room, uh, right here, uh, sitting, and we watched videos of her from 1930 shorts, from the 60s, with her son, with Anna Sasenko, who was a producer of her concert. And she started coming over frequently. And bringing her friends. I'm picking my jaw up <laughs> off the floor right now. It was really, I was told, don't act like a fan. So I didn't. I was just her friend. Yeah. And I was this kid of 20. I can't and, believe the tenacity uh, you had. And, like... and it was amazing. It was amazing to open the door and there was Ethel Merman to look out the window and she was coming up the yeah. stairs. Incredible. You know, but so we, uh, we started to get really friendly. She would bring all her friends over to watch these videos. She brought B'nai Venuda, her best friend. <laughs> she brought Maria Karnilova, who was thrilling to me. And she and Karnilova would talk about Gypsy sitting on my couch. You know, talking about, oh, Ethel, I would cry every night you did Rose's turn. I go, oh my God, oh my God. And we would watch stuff and she would sit cross-legged on the floor and talk. Just old clips of, of her oh, yeah. performing. Oh, major stuff from the 60s. She would say, you see me over there? That's 1964. Uh, that dress, I wasn't wearing a bra. Today, <laughs> if I didn't wear a bra, they'd hit the floor. <laughs> But now, that was Ethel. She was so funny. This was all before YouTube. So how did you amass all, all this I stuff? I had it was a Good thing question. called VHS. Mm, VHS. <laughs> we had VHS tapes and and film, actual film. And actually, when she passed away, she had left me some of the kinescopes, which were the films from her TV shows from the fifties, and a couple of things. One of them, Anything Goes, with Frank Sinatra and Bert Lahr, I was able to uh, lease to a company. It's out on DVD. Wow. Oh, fabulous! Which is really exciting. And she would have loved that. But she loved watching her stuff and commenting and saying, at one point, she's watching an old short from 1930. She made it in Astoria, Queens. And uh, she said, oh, my God, my voice is so tinny. I sound like Ann Miller. (laughs) (laughs) And we would say, no, Ethel, it was the recording. She said, no, no, that was how I sounded. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, how fun. She was very funny. And she became... Which is why Merman's Apprentice, the show going way fo- fast yep. forward now, Good. exists, is because I knew the real Ethel. She was just a regular New York dame who walked the streets of New York and you know couldn't get a cab and we, yeah. you know have to put her on a bus and things. <laughs> she was a great. She was really fun and vulnerable oh, and yeah. nice. And uh, she'd call me up. I remember getting get, answering the phone. She said, oh, I'm going to be on the Tonys and the Oscars. And I go, of course you are. You're <laughs> Ethel Merman. <laughs> but she was like she was 12. Yeah. It was still exciting. Oh, yeah. And uh, so that was the great part. So that's how I knew her. <laughs> wow. You know, it's I can understand why she'd really care to see herself perform. You, you, nowadays, I feel like we take for granted that everything's recorded. Yeah. Mm. But, you know, in yeah. her day, 
she didn't get to see herself very no, often. No, exactly. And, and I there love would that be live TV shows that that literally they would send the kinescopes that would be put away yeah. in a closet for years, and she never thought about it again. That's incredible. And it was really fun to do and to see the people in the show. She was watching movies, as I said, from 1930, and she would say, oh, yeah, he went out with Dorothy Hammerstein before she met Oscar. <laughs> like, what? You knew wow. that yeah. kind of stuff. What began your um, sort of knowledge of, of Merman? Like, how, what did anything trigger it when you were a kid? Yeah, I mean, I had records. Yeah. Remember records? Oh, I still have them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Real records. I had the records. I had Annie Get Your Gun from mm-hmm. Lincoln Center. It, w- it knocked me out. I didn't know. All right, I belonged to, in those days, you belonged to record clubs. I was a little kid, belonged to the RCA Record Club, which meant you could not get Columbia Records. So I had no idea there was such a thing as the original cast album of Gypsy because I had the movie. Oh Roz Russell and I had Roz Russell who right? was dubbed by Lisa Kirk of course and, and one day I listened to a radio show just like this and I heard Ethel singing Rose's Turn instead of Lisa Kirk or Roz Russell and I was just knocked out of my I just couldn't yeah. believe it and so I became that kind of fan for totally. a while. And I went to see, I got to see Hello, Dolly. Because you grew up in Brooklyn, I correct? grew up in Brooklyn, so I'm lucky my mother took me to shows. And your first one was? Hello, Dolly. Oh, with Betty God. Grable. With Betty Grable as yes. Dolly. <laughs> then, and Merman was the first time I went back to a show you know, where, where I would see somebody else in it. Because I just kind of had this feeling, this isn't going to happen again. Yeah. Mm. And I was right. Yeah. Now, besides Hello, Dolly, what else did you see growing up? Oh, Mame. Mame was the second show, and that killed me. That was the best <laughs> with Janice Page. Yeah. Lansbury was gone. I got to tell Janice Page, you were my Mame. <laughs> I was so excited to meet her. And it was, that was the first time I sat in the orchestra at the Winter mm-hmm. And so it was much better than the third balcony of the yes, St. James. And uh, it was, it knocked me out, that show. Just Mame killed me. Oh, but I saw, I was lucky. I was in that era. And the 70s came, and there was Company, and there was Follies, and there was a little night music, and there was specific overtures. Yeah. And those shows just, I knew I was seeing incredible shows then. And cheap, $2. <laughs> and and oh. did, you, did you always know, because you were producer, young age, yes, actor, yes, young age, yes. book writer, writer. Did you always know that you were going to be in the arts in some way? Yeah, I, I, I was that kid who wanted to be a performer yeah. and didn't get enough love, <laughs> the whole baloney. So I performed early, and I was, I was in summer stock at 14. Yeah. And I, I was, it, was, it was me and, and Chuck Bush. I love that. <laughs> so you wrote, because I read somewhere that you wrote one of your first songs. I wrote my, one of my first songs because, Bush. no, because Chuck, Chuck and his friend Andy Halliday, who was Andy Cohen then, uh-oh, and <laughs> Andy still works with, with Charles and his shows, and they had written the book of a show, and they had no score, and they, I don't know why, they came over to me and said, maybe you want to write songs. And I just went off in the corner and wrote my first song. <laughs> that's incredible. And, uh, and I thought, well, if they can do it, I can write a show. Yeah, and I did. That's right, Stephen. That's exactly <laughs> like, what, right. What the hell? I can write a show, too. Now, whereabouts <laughs> in Brooklyn did you grow up? Where? Yeah. Way out in Canarsie. Mm, the, the, the last stop on the L Randy train. Gra- <laughs> territory. Yeah, that's where she's from. The last stop on the L train. It used to be called the LL train. Yeah, it was L. <laughs> <laughs> Not a good line. An hour. But wow. it was close enough to keep coming in and seeing shows. And that was that was the best. Now you named all the big ones that yeah. you saw. What about some of the forgotten ones? I think the first flop I saw on Broadway. Oh, we can use was, the word flop. That's yes, good to know. Okay, fl- good. It was a flop. It good. was a flop. <laughs> Lovely ladies kind gentlemen. Which I thought 
was as good as any other show I saw. I don't know. I don't. You guys, I'm you don't know. Such, lovely I, ladies. I'm ashamed. Gentlemen. I know. Oh, Stephen's shaming no, 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 me right now. Minute, I know. Yes, true. you do. Because Jim Brochu, who was one of our guests, yes, showed us some of the YouTube clips from oh, it. Oh, that's Correct. right. That's what it's I'm a musical about. version of the house uh, no, of the uh, Tea House of the August Moon. And it starred uh, David Ron, Burns. That, David he Burns. Was because and he Ron knew David Hussman? Burns. Exactly. That's right. Ron and Hussman? David Burns was brilliant. Yeah. Ron Hussman was in it. And uh, Ray McRamsey. Who did the and music? It was Stan Freeman oh. and Frank Underwood. And Stan Freeman had written I Had a Ball. He's yep. had two big... Two and, big and to be clear, Frank Underwood, the... Lyricist composer, not Frank Underwood from House of Cards. Correct. Thank you. <laughs> just, just, just so we're clear. I know every time I've watched that. Think, well, you didn't write Lovely Ladies Guy. <laughs> I would love if he did. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't know where Frank Frank Underwood is now. Uh, but there was a time that he was playing in a piano bar in, in Greenwich Village, and he would play songs from the show. And I'd go, Oh my God, it's well, I remember that. So you can go, to Mar- get go to Maurice Crisis. Go to Maurice and Crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From that. You know, Lovely Ladies And I knew Stan Freeman a little bit later on. On, so it was kind of nice, but it it was a good show. It was it was one of the first controversial shows on Broadway where uh, they had Asian characters not played by Asian actors, and so they, ah, yes. this was nineteen seventy ish because Merman was across the street in Dolly, and it was at it was at the Majestic. Oh yeah, and uh, but that was one of the first. Flops. I love going to things like that. You know, I didn't. I did not get to see Ari. I always regretted that because <laughs> it had the concentration camp ballet yes. in it, and I missed it. <laughs> That's a regret in life. Camp. I missed <laughs> Ari, but I saw a lot of other. I also missed Jimmy. I wanted to see oh, Jimmy, right. which oh, yeah. was at the Winter Garden, and I didn't get to see that. And my biggest regret that my mother made me miss was I Do I Do, which was not a flop, of course, mm. and because she would not go see that show because it only had two actors in it. <laughs> It wasn't worth it. Robert and Mary Martin. <laughs> so we wow. saw we saw Golden Rainbow with Stephen Eady. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Eady, which was great. Yeah, I sure. loved it. I, you know, that was the thing. I, when you're 12, you love everything. It was That's great. Right. It was, and your parents were supportive of this. Going to shows, sure, absolutely. Were they supportive of me as a performer? Eh. Mm. You know, they didn't think that was a good idea. It, it was. You know, they wanted me to make money, mm, sure, <laughs> sure, and that wasn't going to happen, really. I mean, I did summer stock for three years in a row as an apprentice. Yeah, you know what you make as an apprentice, of course. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> what did your folks do for a living? My father was uh, worked as a salesman in men's hats, oh. and my mother oh. was a housewife, but she also was a bookkeeper. Mm-hmm. Just average, yeah. normal people who, in those days, average normal people lived in New York all went to the theater. Yeah. Because it was affordable. Because you could, yeah. Because you could. I remember them sitting around looking in the in the newspaper, going, "Oh, we'll see Cabaret. We'll see Fid-. You know, we went to Fiddler. We did all. The- I wasn't allowed to see Cabaret till later. That was a pretty dirty show. I was because yeah, <laughs> it was. That was yeah, a naughty it was a little show. Racy. That was naughty. They came home just laughing about the two ladies number. <laughs> <laughs> that was naughty. <laughs> but that's great. I mean, yeah. to see so many things that were affordable oh, at yeah, that time was when it was affordable. And, and then I had all the records, which you know just made me imagine the shows. Uh-huh. And uh, so 
And isn't today happy 60s yes, to yes, most happy fellas? 60 years, 60 years ago. Right. Happy 60 most what happy fella. Show that is. Did you see that at Encores? Oh, they just yeah. Did. I loved it. I loved it. It was gorgeous. It was yeah. really gorgeous. That was a beautiful production. I did, you know what I did not see? And thoughts on this. The two piano version. I did. I didn't see it. I saw it. It was fine. It was two pianos. <laughs> I, I, just listened hear, to it. I, I just listened to it a week the ago. Orchestra, the orchestra is very important to that show. Too. Yeah. And I did. It was, it was an okay cast. But the Encores was pretty Lush and you heard and, yeah. and, and Laura Benanti deserved a Tony for that. <laughs> she was that good. Boy, she was yeah. so very special in that. So I'm I'm glad she's and she loves me because yeah. I love yeah. Her. yeah absolutely and she's wonderful in that as yep. well she she can she can do no wrong in my book yep. now you did a lot of background acting in oh, films yeah or that extra? was during I mean, that whole period background artist I think is yes oh extras we called them <laughs> yes sir <laughs> background American but of course my my most fa- my most famous one you know which I have photos now because I have sna- snapshots of from all that jazz I'm in the, I'm in the opening number of all that jazz oh my gosh. and that was the most fun I had I think. Because it's such a brilliant movie, and we had to learn Bob Fosse's audition. Oh, period. Wow. So we did, Crazy. we did the tap, we did the ballet, and I was at the Palace Theater for a week shooting with all these other people. We were all the rejects, and then they brought in the real dancers. And but you've seen that number; it's spectacular. It's it's you know took a week it, to film. Yeah, our part of it. We were there for wow. a week, and. Uh, he, it was great. I thought I never met Bob Fosse, but now I've seen this little documentary on YouTube, and I see him sitting up on a ladder, and there I am, yeah. very close to him dancing, which made me laugh. So, incredible. <laughs> <laughs> we can add dancing and to the when, you, yeah. when you're a background artist. Okay, here's the rule of what it was then. And I was in maybe maybe fifty movies. You, you don't want to be seen because you're there to make money. That's all. And I was hiding in the back on the stage of the palace. You go, no, 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 because you want to come back the next day. And they'll ask, were you seen on camera? And you go, no. Okay, come back the next day. Oh, oh so that's you're what it was about. Face. I learned that from the old extras. <laughs> you want to make that sag money, and that's what I was doing. And and it was just all about that. So, but that one, you know, I do get seen. I think if you go to YouTube, it's it's three minutes and fifty nine seconds in. There I am. <laughs> I go on and I freeze it constantly. It's really yes. that's oh my god! Sometimes thing. it's just my background. I have hair. Yes. It's really great. Oh my god, you're killing me. <laughs> what else did you do besides all that jazz? Oh there gosh, Raging Bull, Superman. Oh uh, my god! What is going in style? No one remembers that. George that, Burns. George Burns. Yes, very See? good. See? My, my butt is walking down the street. People laugh. <laughs> but it's that kind of thing. You're, if your butt is seen, it's okay, but not your face. Come back the next day. <laughs> you can come, come back again. There were movies that I I remember the experience, and I don't know the movie. Uh, there was one that we went to the Concord Hotel in the Catskills in the winter and did oh, wow. an indoor. It was we were at the indoor pool also for a week doing a luau. They were roasting a pig over the pool. It was a singles weekend. I have no idea what movie what this movie is. Somebody is. found it for me recently, and it was still a movie. I don't. I can't remember the name. <laughs> it was and Gandhi TV actually? Movies. It was Gandhi. <laughs> I know there was one where I was. I was a. I was a student in a classroom, and it was. Uh, it was Penny Marshall and Rob. Rob. Rob uh, 
what's his face? Reiner? No, yeah, her husband. Right? Oh, Rob Reiner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were married then. They, they were, were two married. Teachers yeah. at a school. I don't remember because I was. I, if you looked, I would. The people would call me up and say, "You still look twelve? Yeah, I still look twelve. That's right." <laughs> <laughs> well, you really kept the twelve thing going. For oh yeah, kept that going. Face. Kept it on the baby face, and that's why I said it. Twenty-one over. Yeah. <laughs> it it's twenty-one done. I'm done. a producer it now. Was then he becomes yeah. producer. It's because I was doing things on stage like To Kill a Mockingbird, playing Dill, who's six in the show. Right. And and then I remember I did it in Indiana Rep, and then I came back to New York, and they were going to do it in another theater, and they said, oh, no, you're too old. I went, oh, it's over. My career is done. <laughs> done. Peaked at 12. Peaked at 12. Now, this might be hard, but I'm going to ask you, favorite Cole Porter song? God, that is hard. Really hard. But I've been thinking about that one of his my favorite songs, I Concentrate on You, mm. because oh. the lyric is so specially constructed the way the rhymes fall in different sections and uh, it's so unique and i think when i even i knew that even then that it was unique to connect how things rhyme and it wasn't a normal song and and it, yet it's very simple 32 bars and gorgeous and so i wouldn't say it's my favorite but i've been thinking about that song a lot <laughs> i think it's great and it's just great yeah did you grow up on movie musicals as well yeah yeah, that's what I saw first. I didn't know there were stage shows until I went to Hello, Dolly. Hello, Dolly was a fluke. We, my mother and I would come and see shows, movies, never shows, at Radio City and things like mm. that. And there was nothing to see one day. And we're passing underneath this theater. And I said, why can't we see that movie? And it was Hello, Dolly. And she said, that's not a movie. <laughs> and yeah. She got tickets and I went, <gasps> That's amazing. I, That's amazing. I looked I heard down that. from the third balcony and I saw live people. Oh. And I saw, and, and they did an encore to the title song, and I never knew there was such a thing. But movie musicals were, and Mary Poppins and Sound of Music, yeah. and those were the records I had first, too. Uh, I always had the soundtracks because I saw the movies. My Fair Lady, I saw those in reserved seats. Star, talk about oh. Star, Star, Sweet wow. Charity, <laughs> Paint Your Wagon, yeah. all the theaters Paint that used wagon. to be on Broadway. The Clint Eastwood. Yeah. They, they, they're Clint all, Eastwood they're all gone. You know, the Low East State and the Rivoli and the, all those, they right. were reserved seat movies. You would get your seats and they had intermissions and they had souvenir books. I still have them all. Oh, I have all my great. souvenir books. And, yeah, I think so, a younger yeah, generation so, doesn't doesn't know about that era where you would go. Movies would be playing all day yeah. long. You kind of go in and hang out and come, you know. Yeah. But reserved seats was that's big, fancy. I, I took a, I took a girl on our first date to see Paint Your Wagon. She never saw me again. We're <laughs> <laughs> lost. Well, it's not also, your fault. I mean, it was Paint Your Wagon also, the movie. You see, no, it wasn't because of that. It was because they they were selling the souvenir book, and I didn't have enough money, and I had to borrow money from her for the souvenir book. <laughs> And so she didn't think that was a good date. <laughs> we were 13. I think it's classic. <laughs> oh, I love it. I Where else me. to go besides, besides paint your wagon? I love it. <laughs> now, I have to ask you uh, I love obscure films. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And this was one when I was doing research on you. I had never heard of before. Electric Grandmother? Yeah. I, this, is, this is not. I never knew this. So well, I feel like I'm out of the loop. film. And that's what. And one of my shows is based on that. Yeah. One of my early shows. It was a, it was a story by. What's his name? <laughs> Ray, Ray Bradbury. Bradbury. Ray Bradbury, yeah. right. But I had seen the TV film starring Maureen Stapleton as literally an electric grandmother. She's a robot grandmother. And it was so Literally? Moving. An electric? Yes. Yeah. She's, grandmother, yes, It's about these two little kids who lose their mother, and the father takes them to a factory to get a replacement. And they figure, I like those eyes. I like those arms. And they put together a robot grandmother, the perfect grandmother. And it's Maureen Stapleton, wouldn't it? be cuddly cozy and she is a robot and she comes to live with them and the little girl there's a boy and a girl the boy loves her madly and the little girl refuses to love her and we find out the whole crux of the story is that since she lost her mother she thinks she'll lose her too and Mm. the and and the the end the grandmother says to her no i can't die i'm a machine and that's what it is. So it's real Ray Bradbury. And I oh, had yeah. to write a song for that moment. We, so I, I got together with, that was my collaborator, Matthew Ward, who mm-hmm. I also wrote After, the, After Fair. the Fair with. And we wrote the 11 o'clock song was called I'm Forever. I won't leave you. I'm forever. And it was all about how I'm a machine. I mean, this is, some of the most soaring notes are on that. And the, the, we didn't get the rights to that mm. from Ray Bradbury. Oh. It, it it was a a mistake was made. Agents said we had stuff, and I spoke to him on the phone, and he said, "Oh no, I'm writing my own musical." Because well, he did have a, like a foray into musicals oh. for a while. I feel yeah, like yeah, but he, he tried. didn't do that one. And then little by little, and I would talk to him again years later, and he'd say, "Oh, you can have the rights now." And then he'd call me up and say, "Oh no, we sold the movie rights again." So it just went away. But as it went away, Matt and I were writing after the fair. Mm-hmm which was a public domain story, Thomas Hardy, and we took, we, we purloined many of the best tunes. Yeah. And that was one of them. I'm Forever Became Your Words of Music. Oh. That was, that melody, I went, oh, I'm not losing that yeah. melody. <laughs> so I did it. <laughs> wow. So that was The Electric Grandmother. It's, it's a lovely film. I, I, it might be out on DVD. I don't know. I'm, d- I'm dying to see it And now. it was also, it was also a Twilight Zone. Before that, oh really? Because it is well, it is wacky. Of, I mean, yeah. it makes sense, and it yeah. actually blends itself well. It's right. It was not, for you it to musicalize was really it musical. Too. It was there's some some great stuff that's still there that we didn't reuse, mm-hmm. and we did this unbelievably great demo with Beth Fowler oh, as, yes. ah. as the electric grandmother, nice. and she was she was heaven. And uh, so there's still stuff I I've read it recently, and once again I went, oh, I could rewrite this. Yeah, <laughs> I'm better now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the lyrics are still good. Wow. <laughs> Love How was the uh, the writing process with Clabe on that? Uh, he was he was not the easiest guy to write with. Oddly enough, really, uh, he was he was very exacting. He I dragged him out of retirement, which I didn't really know. He was like twenty years older, but I, 
I, we would sometimes have huge fights, which he told me. He said, I used to have huge fights with Kenward on the grasshopper. And I'd go, well, we'll never fight. Oh, but we did. Kenward Elmsley, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kenward Elmsley. And we did. And, and I would leave there sometimes. I always rode my bike back and forth. He's on the Upper West Side. And I would go, think of the music. Think of the music. Because <laughs> it was so gorgeous. But he, he kind of, part of not having the great success he deserved, I think he was uh, af- afraid of success. And so it was one of those fear of success things. And, and then we would do these incredibly wonderful things together. And we were writing two shows at the same time also. We wrote a show called Gross Singers, mm-hmm. and, which I was brought in on. He had been writing that for years with other collaborators, including Ronnie Graham, the famous comedy writer. And Ronnie threw his hands up and said, I can't do this anymore. And she said, oh, do you want it? I got the job, and it was a commission. And so we were doing, we were writing this Jewish show in the Catskills, and then at the same time as the preacher, you know, I'm writing the River Jesus. Oh my gosh. And, oh and gosh. about Borscht and, and yeah. Knishes at the same time. So it made him a little crazy. <laughs> I was fine. I was used to doing two things at once. And at one point he said, We're not doing this show two things at once. I said, Fine, slow down, slow down. <laughs> Would you guys write together? In, in, in. Yeah, I would. I, I the the big question. What's always the big question? Which comes always. first, the words or the music? As Sammy Khan always said, the contract. But in my, I usually write lyrics first, but it goes back and forth. Sometimes I enjoy getting. I would get melodies from him sometimes, but mostly I would write a complete lyric. I would go over there and do it in rhythm for him in his tape recorder. Mm-hmm. And by the time I rode my bike home, he sometimes would have full things he was really adept and fast and and brilliant yeah brilliant brilliant music and sounded like no one else that's something that's hard to come by people who have their own sound Mm. Uh, you listen to harvey schmidt and he has his own sound the fantastic sounds like nobody else and clabe was like that too and i think some of it is regional it's the fact that it's the regionalism. Uh, I mean, he would, could write the Jewish music easily, but that wasn't him. The Night of the Hunter and the Grass Harp and the, just the way he talked. You know, mm-hmm. it just, and then he played the piano brilliantly and he sang brilliantly. He could sing. But when I, sang, I sang pretty well, and, and we would sing together. But he had a great voice. In fact, he told me Julie Stein was his uh, sponsor to get into ASCAP when you had to have sponsors. And Julie said, I'd put you in any chorus of mine. Because <laughs> he just had this big, wonderful voice. <laughs> wow. And uh, I have demos of, of him singing stuff mm. from Grasshopper, including our show stuff. And But he would write, we were writing the score for prodigious voices, and Ron Raines was it. Oh. And we would go into the studio and do demos with Ron, and Ron would go, oh my God. God, it goes so high, Clay, and Clay would go, it's thrilling! <laughs> and it's true, you know, because he has that Barry Tenor thing going way up. And, uh, so we, and we were lucky enough to make that CD. You did. There was a cast recording. A, a concept oh, recording. Concept, yeah. yeah. This was all because of, of Bruce Kimball. He, he loved the show from, from the first demos we gave him. We gave him like three songs, and he said, I'll do it! So he was like the producer of he the He produced recording. it. It was, it was with Varese Saraband yes. then. He was with that company. And he said, I wanted, I've always wanted, he was doing things like Lost in Boston. Yep. And, and he said, I've always wanted to do a concept CD before it was ever a show. And, and 
We handed it to him. You had Dorothy Loudon? Oh, my God, yes. Dorothy, who was a great pal after that. And and we had the greatest orchestrations by, uh, oh, my God, you'll think of it in a second, Uh, because we had 26 pieces playing on that CD. Uh, I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah, it's gorgeous. And Todd Ellison conducted it, and then he became my collaborator later on. That's right. And uh, and Dorothy Loudon and Marshall Lewis and, and Sally Mays. Yeah, it's an incredible cast. Oh, yeah. Incredible. We asked Barbara Cook first to do Dorothy Loudon's role because she had been in the grass harp. And she said, she called up Clay and said, it's not for me. He never spoke to her again. <laughs> and Ooh. so I said, let's call Dorothy. And I did. I knew Dorothy from drama league shows. So. Oh, yes, right. <laughs> so I, I called her up, and she said, oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> and she was she was a blast. It's fun to hear her. It's yeah. really fun to yeah, hear her. She's great. If a she's theater great. company wanted to do The Night of the Hunter, are, yes. the, right, are the rights available? They are. They are. They are with me and my agent, absolutely. So just contact you oh, or the yeah. agent. And we that's... Want, we, we're, we're looking for that new production of, of Night of the Hunter. We did it in San Francisco, mm-hmm. premiered there. We did it in the New York Music Theater Festival, which was the best. And and Beth Fowler played Dorothy Loudon's role, and she was fantastic. And Dee Hody was in it. It was a wonderful production. We did it then in Texas with the full twenty-six piece orchestra at Lyric Stage, where I've done lots of my shows, uh, and it was it was great. But the New York one with even with the fi- only five pieces rather than twenty-six, it was glorious. It was one- so I want to do the show again. In fact, I, ha- I have it out to a famous director right now who I think would be fabulous for it. Fabulous. Who, who is Tony nominated today. Hey, I love that. <laughs> so now you can guess who it is. But. I like that. You know what's interesting is that there is no uh, uh, set path on how to bring an original musical to the masses. No. There is no, like, do, follow these steps, boys and mm-hmm. girls, and you will have your show on Boy, a stage. wouldn't that be great. Wouldn't it be nice? Yeah. You know? and, it, and I'm sure that, every single one of your shows has had a different gestation or a different process. Absolutely. You know? And it's changed drastically since I first got shows on. It is much harder now. Now it really is about bring the money. It's all about the money. All about the money. It's always been sort of all about the money. But you, when I got Dodsworth on in 95, mm. starring Hal Linden at, at Casa Manana and D. Hody, oh, yeah. it was because uh, the director, Bruce Lumpkin, just brought it to them and said, hey, why don't we do this show? And they said, well, yeah, it's good, but... Nobody knows the title. Nobody knows the authors. And I think I was the one who said, get a star. Mm -hmm. And they got Hal Linden. And guess what? It sold tickets. And people came and they saw the show and it moved on from there. So, you know, Dee was not a star star then, but but Hal was a TV star. And... We did the same thing with Gross Singers in the same theater. We had we had Ruta Lee, who is <laughs> a star in Fort Worth, Texas. Let me tell you, you put Ruta Lee on a marquee in Fort Worth, and they come for weeks. Smart. But we also had Gavin McLeod, yes. who the great Captain Steubing, yeah. and and that was a great experience. It was that was the uh, the non Jewish Gross Singers. I was going to ask what, what the sort of story of Gross Singers. Well, is. it's about it's about Jenny Grossinger, the woman who created the hotel and the Catskill Mountain. And, and the whole how how the Jews came to the Catskills and it's a very Jewish show mm. and when we did it in Fort Worth they, they said oh nobody's going to get it here no one knows what a blintz is <laughs> and, and they were wrong because every because all of a sudden the Jews came out of the woodwork they all had accents but they came out of the woodwork <laughs> and we also had a fabulous lobby display with all the photos of Jenny Grossinger and every star that played there Smart. and and ran this is your life Jenny Grossinger singer on a loop 
which was from the 50s, and, and on a TV screen. So it all it worked out really great. But we did take out every reference. There wasn't an oi in sight. <laughs> oh, funny. <laughs> it was very funny, yes. And then we put it back. We put it all back, and it became a show called Saturday Night at Gross Singers, which ah. is the mm-hmm. same show with only six people. And that ran in L.A. in Florida. Mm-hmm. So that, Where in L.A. was it? Uh, Betty Garrett's Theater in the Valley. Yes. Yeah, okay. which yeah. it ran for four months, which is a lot for L.A. Oh, <laughs> they don't go to the theater LA. there. Not like that. <laughs> but everyone came out to see it because Gross Singers, to a certain generation who is dying out now, you know, represented this great place where they all went for the summers and saw every star. It's kind of like Friends, young people, when you watch the movie Dirty Dancing. Yes. yes. It's like that. It's like, it was like families well, not would only go, is it like hang that. out there and, par- and dance and have yes. fun and put on shows. And it was all about food and big stars and dancing and going there to find husbands and and the pool and they they were open all year round. They had skiing. They had everything. Yeah. It was Las Vegas before mm-hmm. Las Vegas. Right. And uh, Dirty Dancing, you know, was supposed to take place at Gross Singers, and it sort of does. But they weren't allowed to use the name Gross Singers because we owned it. Wow! <laughs> the ladies who bought the rights to Gross Singers, we still had the. I I once got a call from someone said, "Who can I use Gross Singers in a movie?" I said, "How much?" <laughs> Funny. <laughs> they never, they weren't going to pay enough, so it didn't happen. No. So we still have the. Oh, we still use Kellerman. Kellerman. Yes, I watched Dirty Dancing enough, yes. that, but it's so close. But, I mean, is so is so famous, yeah. and it was the the Cadillac of all those hotels. It was the mecca, and the top. And the woman Jenny Grossinger was an interesting character, and I got to know her daughter. And uh, it's very interesting because she was a female entrepreneur yeah. in the early part of the twentieth century, and and ran the place. So that it was, definitely lends itself to it. It was a, a great yeah, yeah yeah. We had a good time. And the song for Dorothy Loudon that I'm so curious if she ever recorded. Am I too broad for Broadway? Right. That came because of that show, Comedy Tonight. So there we are. They're in previews on Broadway. And by this point, it's not three acts, but four, because Dorothy's understudy, when they were out of town, went on for her once. And her name was Joy Behar. And Joy Behar went on and did her comedy act, not Dorothy's comedy act, and couldn't sing, but she did her thing. And she was such a hit. And no one knew who she was that they put her in the Broadway show. And the others were Mort Saul and, and that guy who juggles and does comedy. And, <laughs> and Dorothy's actually had a puppet, a Dorothy Loudon puppet. It was very funny. But it wasn't good. This was not a good show. Let me have it at the Lund Fontaine. So they said, Dorothy, we, we should get an opening number for her. And so Jeff Saver and I uh, wrote this song, Am I Too Broad for Broadway? Which actually came from a monologue that someone else had written. And I loved writing it. It was a blast. And we, all right, so the story goes, we go to Alexander Cohen's office, which was also his apartment, and we sing it for him, and he loves it. And it was like a movie. And he calls his wife in and says, come on in, you have to hear this song. And this is Hildy Parks, who wrote all the Tony Awards with him. And she says, oh, I love it. Call in the whole staff. They all listen. We're all singing the song. And there's, there's Peter Howard, who's playing the show. And so they love it. And I said, this is it. This is my dream come true. I'm going to have a song on Broadway. We go to John Kander's house and play it for Dorothy a day later and I'm singing it and I'm doing my dar- best Dorothy Loudon and she they applaud and they all look at her and she goes I'm not singing that and I went oh. she said we're in previews I'm not learning anything new that's too hard wow. and that was the end of that and our dream went Oh. And we went to the recording studio and recorded it with Mary Testa, who's brilliant on our demo. And it's just basically was so 
so Dorothy was all about how how she was too broad for Broadway and she couldn't get into any shows like she couldn't be in Sunset Boulevard because she was scared of heights and the and the room kept going up and down and and they she did get cast in Beauty and the Beast as the bidet <laughs> so it was that kind of oh, shtick God. it was very funny very song funny. and I'm very proud of that song but she never sang wow. yeah. and there is a recording of it it's yeah Mary, Mary Testa recorded it. it and so that's our demo Fitting. one of these oh she was brilliant just brilliant. And and if I were to do the song again, every year there's new shows. And these were these were old shows. <laughs> Sunset Boulevard and Update. Yeah. Even she hadn't even done she hadn't even done showboat yet, because we showboat that revival showboat had just happened. Oh, right. And we had something about her shimmying on the cotton blossom and singing it. <laughs> that kind of stuff. It was very funny stuff. Wild. I like writing that that's special material. Yes. And that's yeah. fun to do. And and she was going to do Gross Singers at one point. That was that was she. We were going to do this concert in L.A., which we wound up doing with the Los Angeles Jewish Symphony Orchestra. You didn't know there was so such a thing, did you? <laughs> the Los Angeles Jewish Symphony Orchestra, and they we had fabulous symphony orchestrations made for the show, and Dorothy was going to play the lead, and we were going to record it, and and that was all exciting. Other great people were going to be in, and she rehearsed and got sick. And then she didn't do it. She wound up not doing it. But we decided we were going to keep everything in the same key that she sang in, which meant the basement at that right. time. And the poor woman who was going to do it in the concert would sing in those keys. We would record the orchestra and then go back and put her into it. Wow. The orchestra wasn't good enough. Mm. So it never really happened. That was another Bruce Kimmel thing that we were going to do. But we did the, we did the concert. And so I, some, of the, some of it sounds okay. It was the, the, I, I hope the woman's not listening, but I remember she, she had her, her baton and she got up and she raised her baton and it flew out of her hands and hit one of the players. <laughs> and the composer claims went, well, we're dead. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. So, oh my and, uh, God. Sarah Styles was Sarah Styles yeah, was hysterical. genius. Oh, Sarah Styles was genius. As was Bruce Warren, who played opposite her. They oh, had a scene a in the show, yeah. which is a translation scene. Which, if you look on the script, it maybe takes a half a page. It was five minutes of hilarity because every night they would improvise. It was translating, but physically, and and it's what really went on there. The, the, the trying to get anybody to understand. Anything, it was hilarious, and she was she was just genius. We tried to we she auditioned for us when we were going to do it in Texas first, and interestingly enough, we didn't pick her. And then I was like, "What are we crazy?" And that wonderful, wonderful, funny voice, and she was sexy as hell. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, I had a blast. I had so much fun doing that show there, and we we did. We produced it ourselves. Did this concert version, Anita. Anita Gillette plays our mother. We incredible Elizabeth Teeter, who is now one of the the main witches in <laughs> the Crucible, and was was young uh, Queen Elizabeth last year in the audience. She so yes, Elizabeth Teeter plays Merman's apprentice Muriel Plackenstein, and uh, she she came in an audition for us. She's she's brilliant, just brilliant. you know who her father is. Yes, I do. Lara Teeter, who starred in On Your Toes in nineteen eighty three, Tony nominee. And now oh, he wow. runs a musical theater program, right? Yeah, in, in St. Louis. St. Louis, and yeah. they have—he has this wonderful family, and I think Elizabeth's the oldest daughter. There are other daughters. We we keep hoping because the girl's twelve years old, and Elizabeth's now fourteen-ish. We go, well, got any younger sisters? Because <laughs> she's so talented and so good. Still because procrastination. procrastination is the name of the game. Amen. <laughs> now, 
one of the things Kevin said, oh, hold on for one second. So one of the things Kevin was saying before, which is that people on there have very strong opinions. Um, so we're going to ask you a series of questions, musical theater questions. <laughs> you can either say your opinion or you can say I decline to comment. Okay. But as he is Stephen Cole and that's the highest level you can go in musical theater fandom. It is true. It is true. That is These, the apex, the acme of, of We were fandom. talking about you know, the big musical theater questions and here we go. Are you ready? Okay. All right. Best Sweeney Todd, Len Cariou or George Hearn? Hmm. I saw both. Oh. Definitely. And I don't remember Len as well. Because George did the video. So I love George. Yep. And I saw George do it with Judy Kay at Paper Mill. And oh. that was the best. That was one of the best productions. Judy Kay was stupendous. And he, my, my, one of my collaborators, Jeff Saver, was the conductor. And he told me that when George came uh, to rehearsal, he said, teach me the notes. I never got to learn the notes on Broadway. He was a replacement. Wow. He said, I want to do it right. And boy, did he do it right. Wow. So I, that was a thrilling. So I like George. George. Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. Greatest score from a forgotten musical oh. is... Uh, I know. What's forgotten? Is Follies forgotten? <laughs> it's kind of one of the forgotten musicals. Follies was the greatest production, by the way, I ever saw in my life. I am so lucky yeah. to have been alive. I saw the original, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and, uh, and it still holds. But I would say, but if I had, if we were on Greatest Sondheim, you know, that's harder. Because Night Music is, is better in many ways, because Night Music's a better show. Mm-hmm. Mm. Hugh Wheeler. Oh, but, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the score is great. Music in the Air. How's that? Good. That's Long a current take us way season. back. Yes. Because nice. no one ever thinks way back. That's a, I, I adore music in the air. I'm on a real music in the air kick. I like, love like. it. <laughs> the best Mama Rose was. Wow. <laughs> well, you know what? Isn't that sad that I the only one I've never actually seen is Merman? I saw every single other one uh, wow. from, from Lansbury on. But. Because Merman had the fabulous tapes in her closet of her closing night, and I'm the one who got them out of that closet, I can say Merman, because just listening to her performance is spectacular. When I saw Tyne Daly, I said that she heard the tapes, because I thought Tyne Daly really gave a Merman performance. Oh, interesting. And because it's all about the comedy. And that's kind of gone by the wayside lately. Yes. The comedy. Yeah. If you're not funny and charming, why should we care? Then you're just a monster from word go. And Merman always said, and she said it to me, she said, she was a good mother. Rose was a good mother. I have to play her that way. Yeah. She said, she was taking care of her girls. It was all for them, not for me. And that's true. Think about it. She only says it's for me at the very end. And so she's got two hours of it's all for them, not for me. And that's how she played it. The positive, funny, charming, I'll do anything for those kids. Good answer. Yep. Good answer. Ready for your next one? You're doing good so far. Yes, yes. The most overrated musical in the canon is... Ever? Oh, my God. The most overrated... I choose to decline. Great. (laughs) (laughs) The most underappreciated musical... And the canon is mm. the Night of the Hunter. <laughs> that's, yes! Yes, that's it. Good doing answer. a few more. You're doing good. Yes. Who should star in a Mac and Mabel revival? Nobody. I saw the original <laughs> show. I saw it on the second night, and it was as good as it was ever going to get. 
and it was it was a good show. But let me tell you, there was Bernadette Peters was incomparable. She knocked Robert Preston off the stage. She was that good, and. If Bernadette Peters and Robert Preston and Gower Champion couldn't get it right, no one's going to get it right. That's the answer. Fair. That's my feeling Fair. about that show. Yeah. Uh, blank. <laughs> this musical deserved to win Best Musical, but didn't. Follies. Great. <laughs> Is the revival of Chicago truly better than the original? No! <laughs> I saw the original. I not only saw the original, but I saw it with... Liza Minnelli twice, Gwen Verdon, of course. Interestingly, Liza was fabulous. It was such an event to go see Liza and mm. Cheetah, and she was stupendous. But when I went back and saw Gwen, I went, that's the show, because it's the older woman, yep. and, and she was a brilliant actress. But some of the numbers were changed for Liza for the better. The, the, me and my baby became the baby number with, with, with uh, all of them dressed mm-hmm. as babies, and her as Eddie Cantor, and it was much better than what wound up in the show. So yeah, I like the revival very much, don't get me wrong. And I'm glad it's so long run and everything, and when I saw it at Encores, I thought I, I died and went to heaven, because I hadn't seen the show in so long. But the original had sets and costumes, and it was better. <laughs> the greatest leading man in musical theater history is Alfred Drake. Nice. Good answer. Yeah. Uh, we teach three forgotten musicals that you wish all musical theater students knew about. The Cat and the Fiddle, <laughs> Music in the Air. They are totally experimental shows, both of those. When you think about it, it's 1932 and 1933, and Kern is doing an experiment. Showboat has book songs and song songs. There is not a song in each of those shows that is a book song. They are all have a reason for existing as songs in the show. Every, someone is singing all the time. Interesting experiment, and they both work on their own level. So those two are very, uh, and then any Sondheim. <laughs> any Sondheim. So, yeah. yeah. All of them. Three All more of them. questions, yes. and then we're going to yes, get to go three. fine. <laughs> Kismet. Great score, or just lucky with a newspaper strike? Oh, no, great score. It's Borodin. Come on. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous, and I love the lyrics. I think they're, they're just delightful and funny. And uh, I love the score, too. Yeah, I, I love like Kismet. How could you not like Kismet? <laughs> I mean, we're talking, we're talking major, major music here for singers. Really? Yeah. Which is the more influential rock musical, Hair or Rent? I think Rent. Yeah, I mean, Hair was not influential at all. Hair was just one thing that happened. It influenced a lot badly at the time. It influenced, it influenced Clive Barnes to say, I don't think any musical is a musical without a rock score. And it influenced him to give uh, Follies a terrible review and Company a terrible review. He thought all shows should have rock scores. So that was a very bad influence. And most of those shows that poor Galt McDermott wrote after were disasters. And, I mean, Via Galactica and (laughs) these shows, they were disasters. Whereas Rent has been a little more influential. Great. A little more. Last question. Okay. Greatest overture to a musical. You cannot (laughs) say Gypsy. (laughs) Well, Candide then. 
or 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Oh, I love you for saying oh, that. Uh, good choice. Yeah, that's Bernstein. a gorgeous overture. It is. And and it's not on the CD that they released of of uh, the of the recording because yeah. they never released 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. They did no. uh, uh, what, what, White what, House what? Cantata <laughs> and yeah, opera singers black. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but they left off the opening number and the overture. And the overture should be take its place with Candide as a great Agreed. Uh, concert piece. Brilliant. So, yeah. And I saw 1600. Ha! Saw <laughs> I was there. <laughs> and I believe David Crane was a rehearsal pianist. <laughs> yes, that was his first show. Yeah. That was his first show. And he was he was a Leonard Bernstein protege. Yeah. Because of that. Yeah. So, yeah, that was his first show. It was a full circle. circle. Love full that. circle. Full <laughs> circle. Join us next week when we interview Broadway and television icon Nancy Dassault. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.